Well, good morning. And thank you, choir and praise team. Oh, what a wonderful way to begin our Lord's Day worship. And uh, thank you, uh, Austin, wherever Austin uh, went off to here for that uh, update on what's going on in our, our college ministry, our BCM ministry here in Amarillo. That's exciting. You know, that's part of our uh, March for Missions. It's a reminder that when we give on March 18th for our March for Mi- or March, December 18th, for a March for Missions, so we give to support ministries just like that. Don't forget, our goal is $200,000 this year, and we're excited about how the Lord might use that this year. Well, my name's Tim Sperduto. I'm the discipleship pastor here, and as you're opening your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Luke, we need to take care of something here. It's hard to preach on hope when hope has been extinguished over here, and somebody lit it, though, already, didn't they? There it is. All right. Well, good. We got it already. I was noticing, though, that, you know, it just didn't want to stay lit this morning, and that's all right. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning, looking in verses 39 through 56, thinking about the coming of the King. That's been our, our theme this Advent season, and particularly this morning, as we look at this passage in Luke 1, we want to consider hope made manifest. You know, there's a, a profound question that we find in the final volume of uh, Tolkien's great work, the, the Lord of the Rings. You're probably familiar with this, but let me kind of set it up first. Throughout the entire story, there's been this, this quest to destroy evil, to destroy the great ring of power that has been uh, just plaguing Middle Earth. And life's been really hard for a lot of folks on this journey. Uh, Many lives have been lost. There's been a lot of suffering along the way in this journey. There's been emotional pain and and really a, a struggle to continue in the journey. But we finally come in the, in the series here to the final battle of Middle-earth. And, and in that final battle, the, the ring, the evil ring and the evil one have been destroyed. And we, we come to this little hobbit, Samwise Gamgee. Remember Sam? Samwise Gamgee, he, he awakes from his sleep and he's kind of surprised to be alive, to be honest. And he turns to the great wizard Gandalf and he asks this question. Profound question, he says, is everything sad going to come untrue? Now, I want us to be clear this morning, he's not asking, are good things finally gonna come to us? Are we actually gonna see good things again? No, it's more than that, it's so much more than that. The question is, will all the bad things in the world, all the evil and all the wickedness in the world finally disappear? And of course, Gandalf responds to him, a great shadow has departed. That's just a fancy way of saying yes. And when he hears that response, he hears, yes, it's it's finally going to become untrue. All of this sadness, all of this evil, Samwise cries out, I feel like spring after winter. And the sun on the leaves and like trumpets and harps and all the songs I have ever heard. He's excited He's thrilled. It's a, it's a new day. He's overjoyed by the response. And of course, why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't he be after what he's just heard? This is hope come to pass. Everything sad finally becoming untrue. At least it's the dawning of that. And I want to suggest to you this morning that hope realized is a beautiful thing. 
When you, when you have hope, when you experience real hope, it's a beautiful thing. And now this was reality in Middle Earth, at least in Tolkien's story. But church, this morning, what if we took a deep look, not at Middle Earth, but right here in Amarillo, right here in our own world, and we considered the condition of our own world. And we began to notice all of the evil, all of the sin, all of the brokenness that we see on a regular basis around us. What if we began to notice that and we began to feel very deeply that, that things are, our current condition is another great sadness. It's broken, it's sad all around us. I think we might come to ask the same sort of question that Samwise Gamgee did in his story. Lord, is everything sad gonna become untrue? Or maybe put it this way, Lord, will evil and sin finally be defeated in our world and in our own lives? Lord, will this come to pass? In church, if that's our question this morning, I wanna suggest to you that the answer is an overwhelming yes, yes. Everything said will become untrue. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to hear it from scripture this morning. I want you to hear it straight from Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 39. Would you stand for a moment as we honor the reading of God's word? Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 39 says this. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with food, uh, with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, our great hope is Christ. It's always been Christ. It always will be Christ. And we ask this morning that as we consider your word, this great message of hope from your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would move powerfully in our lives to help us rejoice in Christ and to grow in our understanding and, and faith in the great hope you've given us through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You be seated. 
So if you've been with us the last couple weeks during this Advent season, you know we're right here in the middle of the Christmas story. We've, we've heard the, the foretelling of John the Baptist, uh, the, the forerunner of Jesus. We, we've heard the foretelling of the coming of King Jesus. And now today we kind of almost go to the side for just a moment in the story and, and we're, we're gonna hear this, this reflection from both of the moms involved, the mother of John and the mother of Jesus, this reflection about what does all of this mean now? What does it mean that Jesus is coming into the world as the Christ? And I think what we're gonna see here is the dawning of everything sad finally becoming untrue, not, not just in some fictional world, but here in our own world. And I want us to see four ways that we should respond to the hope of our King's coming this morning. And the first is this, receive the hope of Christ with a humble heart. Receive the hope of Christ with a humble heart. I think one of the, one of the clearest truths in all of scripture is that pride is destructive. Would you agree? Pride is destructive. We're, we're all probably familiar with, with Proverbs 16, 18 that says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You've probably quoted that to somebody in your life, but, but it's true, isn't it? The sin of pride has plagued humanity since the garden, hasn't it? It's just a plague on society. I mean, it was, it, it's been around for a long time, even 300 years ago. Jonathan Edwards, he, he wrote this. He said, the first and worst cause of errors that abounds in our day and age is spiritual pride. So what's changed? Not much, right? Not much. Yet we see here in scripture that, that faith and hope in Christ, these become great pride killers in our life. They become, they become the source of killing and eliminating that pride in our life. Let me show it to you. Verse 43, when Elizabeth realizes that she's in the presence of the preborn Christ, she says, and why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Lord, why this, why this favor? Why this grace in my life? And then in verse 48, when Mary takes a moment to kind of ponder what all this means, what, what the coming of Christ in her womb meant, she wonders that God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Lord, who am I? Why me? And there's a sense of unworthiness that, that comes on these two women. They don't, they don't understand why God would show such mercy and grace to them. And I want to suggest this morning that you and I need that same sense of unworthiness when we stand before Christ, when we, when we consider the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, that, should, that unworthiness should humble us because the truth is no one comes to Christ apart from a humble heart. Nobody comes to Christ. It was a 17th century Puritan, John Flavel, who wrote, ignorance of God and of yourselves gives rise in being to this sin of pride. And here's what he went on to say. They that know God will be humble, and they that know themselves cannot be proud. Now think about that. The, the person who, who thinks himself worthy of the gospel has just shown that they don't really understand the gospel 
The, the person, the, the person that, that comes to Jesus with an indifferent attitude or an apathetic spirit, this is a person who has come to the wrong Jesus. They don't understand the Jesus that Elizabeth and Mary know. They don't understand the Jesus that has changed our lives. You see, church, the person who comes to Jesus, though, with a, with a humble spirit, with a humble heart, asking why, why would I be a recipient of God's great grace? This is the person who's beginning to understand the good news of Jesus. This is a person who's beginning to understand the heart of the gospel message. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of, of Jesus' conversation, or actually not a conversation, it was more of a one-way uh, one message to the people at the very beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter four. And he, he, goes, he goes in amongst the, the, the Jewish people there in Nazareth in Luke 4, 18 and 19, and, and he just quotes scripture. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what I think he's saying, what I wanna suggest this morning is that there is no one poorer. There is no one more enslaved. There is no one blinder or more oppressed than the person who is still in their sin, still without the hope of Christ. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be those that, that we have relationship with this Christmas season. As we prayed a moment ago, what a wonderful time to speak hope into the lives of lost friends and family members and coworkers. We come to Christ for hope, we come to Christ with a humble spirit. That should be our first response. The second is this. Reflect on the hope of Christ with a rejoicing spirit. Reflect on that hope with a rejoicing spirit. I, I wonder, have you, ever, have you ever had some kind of an experience that was, really should have been spectacular, wonderful, just awe-inspiring, but then when you experienced it, you kind of treated it as if it was something dull and ordinary? You know what I'm talking about? Let me, let me show it to you. Back in, back in the summer of 2000, I had an incredible opportunity. I was traveling overseas and uh, I had a full day layover in Amsterdam, Holland. And the group that I was with, they thought it would be a really neat thing to go visit the Vincent Van Gogh Art Museum. The greatest collection of Van Gogh anywhere in the world there in Amsterdam. And so we went. And this should have been really cool, right? But it uh, should have been a really spectacular experience. But I just want to preface what I'm about to say with, I was young and dumb at the time. <laughs> All right? I was young and dumb at the time, back in those days. And when we got to the museum, I, I quickly just kind of walked through, looked at a few paintings, and then found a corner of the museum to sit down in, and I went to sleep. Now, to be fair, I was jet lagged. I mean, we'd just gotten off of a, an overseas flight, but I just found a corner and went to sleep. Church, I went to the Van Gogh Art Museum and treated it as if this was something ordinary or, or dull. Not worth my time, not worth my energy, not worth my effort. And as I look back on that experience, that was a sad story. I'd love to do that over again. That was a sad story, but listen, 
It's not nearly as sad as knowing the good news or knowing about the good news of Jesus and reacting to that good news of Jesus as if it's something ordinary or something dull or something that's not for me. You notice in the text, Mary doesn't make this mistake, does she? She doesn't make this mistake beginning in verse 46. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? Because he has looked on the humble estate of his servant and he has done great things for me. That's Mary's reaction. Friends, what is your reaction? What is, what is your response to the hope of the gospel of Jesus. If you're saved today and you've received God's spirit, you've been a recipient of his glorious grace, then by all means, join with Mary. Join with those who have been overcome by the gospel of Jesus and magnify the Lord. Rejoice in your savior. And not just during the Christmas season, but it ought to be the the overwhelming joy of our lives. You see, his grace toward us has been Something more than ordinary, something more than dull. It has been extravagant grace. He has done great things for us, amen? He has done great things for us. But what if we find ourselves this morning, maybe in that apathetic camp, maybe in the ordinary camp, how do we move from from apathy to rejoicing? About a year ago, I was at a, a conference in Illinois where uh, our Lifeway president, Ben Mendrell, was uh, one of the speakers. And, and I heard him say something, really, it wasn't, it wasn't profound or anything. It wasn't like this complicated truth. It was very, very simple, but it challenged me. Here, here's what he said. He said, whatever you focus on in life, that's what gets bigger in your life. You ever thought about that? Whatever it is you focus on, you dwell on, you give your your mind, your heart, your attention to, that is what gets bigger in your life. So, So here's the point. If you focus on sin habits, focus on negativity, all the problems that are going on around you, or you focus merely on worldly stuff, you give your attention to that, guess what grows? Guess what's gonna get bigger? in your life, of course those things will, they'll get bigger. But if you focus on the goodness and the grace of Jesus, guess what will get bigger in your life? If we, if we focus, we set our focus on the hope of Christ more and more in our lives, we're gonna find that our rejoicing in Christ becomes more and more as well. What we focus on, what we give our, the majority of our attention to, church, that is what grows in our life. So set your hope on Christ. Set your gaze on Jesus. Dwell on what he has done for us and your rejoicing will grow as well. That hope we have in Christ, though, it isn't just for the here and now. I don't want us to miss that. It's not just for this moment. The third response to the hope we have in Christ is to remember the hope of Christ will reverse the curse. Probably doesn't take a genius to understand things have been going wrong in this world for a long time, haven't they? Sin has been running amok for a long time in this world. You know, when when Adam and Eve committed that first sin in the garden, 
God placed not just humanity, but this whole world under a curse. And if we're being honest, every single one of us feels the effects of that curse. We feel it. We look around us and we feel it. We look inside of ourselves and we feel it. It's something that, that if we're not careful, it can weigh heavy on us and we feel that all the time. And I think even young Mary here in our passage, she, she felt the effects. She felt the effects of that curse. And I'm sure she wasn't alone in her day, but we, we definitely see it here in the text because in the second half of Mary's song here in Luke chapter one, she expresses her sure hope that Jesus is the answer to all that ails this world. He's the hope we've been waiting for. He's the hope, he's the answer to everything that has plagued this world since Genesis chapter three. And his coming, it's the, it's the beginning of that reversal of the curse. Check out verses 51 and following. She says, the, the proud are scattered. The, the mighty are brought down from their thrones. The rich are sent away empty, but also the humble are exalted and the hungry are filled with good things. And let me just say this, this isn't just a man, I really hope these things happen kind of sentiment. This isn't just wishful thinking on Mary's part thinking, man, I hope things get better around me. I hope Jesus really is the, the solution here. No, that's not it. According to New Testament scholar Robert Stein, he says the, the verb tenses in these verses all point to one thing, a future work with the certainty of past event. Future work with the certainty of a past event. Now, I wanna suggest what this means for you and me is pretty simple, if you know Jesus today, it doesn't matter how bleak this world looks around us. It doesn't matter how dark the days seem or, or, or how hopeless the world looks at times, Jesus coming changes everything about your future and mine. Changes everything. It, it makes Revelation 21 stand true. He will wipe away every tear and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And the text goes on to say, in their place, God is making all things new. This world, and most specifically, you and me. He's making all things new. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, don't miss out on this grace. Don't miss out on this hope that we see here so clearly in the text. We, we, know, we know clearly from the gospel message, from scripture that repent through repentance and faith, you can have that same hope that Mary has. And that every believer since, since Genesis three has had as they place their, their hope in the promises and the goodness of God. But I want us to see, if your trust is in Christ this morning, your fourth response this morning should be this. You should remain in the hope of Christ that fulfills God's promises. We should remain in that hope. I think we would all agree that sometimes promises are hard to keep, aren't they? It's been said that uh, eggs and oaths are easily broken. True? Probably, right? But not when we're talking about God. Not when we're speaking of 
God, Mary recalls that God's promises are true. And she begins to understand here in the text that, that he's, he's coming through. He's, he's beginning to fulfill his promises of mercy. If you notice in, in verse 54, look down in the text again, verses 54 and 55, here's how she concludes her song. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, no doubt when, when, Mary's, when Mary's thinking through this, this great fulfillment of promises, she's thinking back 2,000 years to the great covenant that God made with Abraham, to the promises that he made to Abraham and to those who would come after him, promises that included land and abundant descendants and, of course, blessing and redemption. And what Mary comes to realize is that the coming of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus is the means through which God will fulfill all of his promises. Jesus is the the conduit through the, the promises of God are finally and ultimately fulfilled. You see, the blessing and redemption that God promised, they're, they're not ultimately fulfilled in Abraham. He, he heard it, he received the promise, but it's not fulfilled ultimately in Abraham. It's only fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, all of the promises of God, they find their yes in Jesus they find their answer, they find their fulfillment, they find their, their fullness in Jesus. The apostle Paul knew it, Mary also knew it. Jesus coming changes everything about our future. Changes everything about where we place our hope and what we expect for our future. So church, when, when Jesus came, God proved that he is a keeper of his promises. Every single one of them. Every single good and glorious promise that he's ever made. And if he's a keeper of his promises, you can be sure he will continue to keep those promises today. He will continue to keep those promises of mercy today. So maybe, maybe today you, you feel that, that strain and burden of life that can weigh so heavy on us. One day, that will be untrue. Maybe this morning, you, you know, your, your life's been, been full of, of sorrow and pain beyond measure. That will also become untrue. Perhaps the chaos of this world, it, it makes you anxious. You watch the news and you get anxious. You, you see what's happening in the world around you and you get anxious. You look at your own life and you get anxious. That won't endure. It can't endure. Maybe your struggle this morning is against some consuming sin that is exhausting you day after day, fighting against it and seeking to be faithful to Jesus. Friend, press on. Press on in the grace that God provides, in the great hope that he provides in Jesus. Remain in the hope of Christ. God will fulfill his promises. And remember, remember verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In other words, what, what Mary knew to be true 2,000 years ago is still true today. 
What Mary rejoiced in 2,000 years ago should still be our great joy today. The hope that she had that all things will become new and that was being set forth in Jesus. Church, that is still true today. I don't know what your spiritual condition is as you came in here this morning. I don't know what it is that that is weighing heavy on your heart, what you've been struggling with, what you've been dealing with as you came in here today, but what I do know for sure this morning is that there is hope for each one in Christ. There's hope for salvation for all who repent of their sin, turn away from their sin and trust in what Jesus alone has done in his life, death, and resurrection There's hope of eternity for all who will persevere in faith and trust that one day that curse will be reversed and that Christ will come again and he will fulfill all the good and glorious promises that God has made, amen? One day these things will become true. Everything sad will be untrue and every good and glorious promise of God will in fact be our eternity. It will be our joy for all eternity. Friends, let's rejoice in that hope today. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Father, your word is truth and it is life. And we thank you this morning that as we look to your word, God, that it gives us us hope no matter where we find ourselves this morning, maybe, may, maybe we, we've come here today as followers of Jesus, but really struggling with, uh, with, with all of the brokenness around us, and yet you give us hope in Christ. You tell us that you will not forsake us. You, you will not leave things as they are in this world or in our lives. One day, all will be made right. But Father, it could be this morning that others have come into this place without any real hope of Christ. They've never never surrendered the rights to their life. They've never stepped off the throne of their own heart and let Jesus have his rightful place. Oh, I pray that through your Holy Spirit that they would sense your grace, that they would realize the hope that we have in the good news of what Jesus has done, and that they would place their hope and their trust in him today. Father, we thank you for Jesus, not just during this season of Christmas, but each and every day, because it's in Jesus that we place our hope. Lord, we give you this time of response. We pray that you would have your way, that you would speak into our hearts and do a work that only you can do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?